right, so hi guys. Um, today we're going to be doing another one of our sort of shakeout podcasts, which is a bit of a, a shorter format, but also we're just talking about one like specific um, topic. And today we're joined by Paul Freire. And if you'd like to introduce yourself, Paul, just to give some obviously context behind the opinions of the shoes, basically what we're going to be talking about. Okay, hi Alfie. Um, well, uh, my name's Paul Freire. Um, I have been an athlete for a very long time. I'm 52 years old right now, um, but still running as well as I can. Um, been running, well, my dad was uh, an athlete, he was British record holder at 10,000 metres back in 1966. He ran 28-23, um, I think it was. Um, he had a British record for 10k on the track and also the British one-hour record and he was the first British athlete to do um, 20 kilometres in under an hour um, but he had the one-hour record as well I think that might have been in this, this, the same race actually just carry on for the hour um, so yeah I've always I've always been an athlete myself and been um, interested in running and and in shoes I guess when I started running um, in the like 70s it was the the advent of the rise of footwear really prior to that in my, the 60s I guess and um, when I was very little my dad's shoes were very primitive things things that you wouldn't dream of running in now almost like barefoot shoes I guess they'd be classified or things like the Adidas Gazelle which was a, a popular training shoes for all the, 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 the road runners back then um, so it was the advent of shoes starting like uh, Tigers which become known as Asics um, my dad had a pair of uh, what were called Tiger Cubs, very minimalist shoes. Um, and then um, Nike came around. And I, I remember my first proper shoes really were a pair of Nike Wally Waffles, they were called. I think they're about £6.99. So that was a very long time ago. Anyway, so um, that's how I kind of got into running. Um, and from a an industry perspective i started working as a as an athlete i was sponsored by puma um i was a mile and 5k runner i was a england represented england on the track road and cross country and i wanted um i wanted to try and get a job within the sports industry and being sponsored by puma eventually after lots of asking um i got a job working for puma looking after specialist running um sales in the uk um from there i spent some time with feeler when when they were were big around um 1999 2000 with uh, when paul turgat was sponsored by puma he was wearing the feeler racer um so that was a really exciting time for feeler um, unfortunately they disappeared um shortly um kind of mid um oh gosh when was it about 2004 2005 they really kind of disappeared from the running market um and from then i had a brief spell working with nike and then at adidas doing their what was a new project for them 26.2 on the road and again that was working in specialist retail um for running uh with their product after that um decided to open my own store so i've got a store in bolton and in preston in the northwest of england um run bolton and, and run uh, preston um they've got a website called lancashire runner 
and were specialist running stores. Um, but when I opened the store, it was pretty much, I wanted to focus on really specific fitting of running specialist footwear. So we started using video gate analysis. And when I did that in around about 2002, so 18 years ago, we were one of the very few stores in the country using video um, to or video gate analysis to kind of point us in the right direction of the, the best type of footwear. So that's something I offer. Um, like I've always had a massively, massively keen interest in, in footwear as well, as you can tell already. Um, and in the last couple of years, I also do uh, 3D printed orthotics, which uh, are called FITS, that's uh, P-H-I-T-S. And they are from Belgium, a guy called GMP in Belgium, who, whose most famous clients, I guess, include Paula Radcliffe and, and Mo Farah uh, recently. Um, I think Lily Partridge has been out to Belgium to get um, insoles from him as well. But I make those um, in my stop shop in Preston. And that's a, a dynamic assessment in order to create the insole. And it creates a 3D printed insole, um, which are really just something else. If you've ever had orthotics, um, if I were just to explain the process that we go through when we're making these insoles, it, um, it's the only kind of system in the world that uses a dynamic uh, measurement process to, to create the insole. So they're really good, really effective. Um, and of course, a lot of the top guys use them. So. So yeah, so I think that kind of, um, yeah, that's my background in running and running shoes in a nutshell. Uh, I think it'd be great as well to obviously down the line do a podcast on sort of the scientific side of things, do with the along the lines of the gate analysis and also like just the, like those um, 3D printed like insoles, would you call them? Would they, are they classed as insoles? Yeah, well, orthotics, orthosis. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of science and there's a lot of research um, those particular inserts are the only ones, the only orthotics around that do have published research um, around them. So the, the, the system itself has been around a long time. It, it's only with the advent of 3D printing that they've been able to create an effective um, kind of junction between the software and 3D printing to make a finished product. Yep. Um, I'm not a scientist. Um, but I do have a very keen interest in running. And my approach is I, I, I try to understand being a runner. Um, I kind of try and put, if someone comes to see me for shoes, I'm trying to put myself in their position. We'd use the video analysis as well. So I'm kind of trying to understand how their feet are moving, how they're working, what kind of speed and distance they're running and how um, I can put them into the, the, the shoe that's best going to accommodate their style and um, so they'll just simply enjoy the running, really, you know, and make it as easy as possible. Yeah, well, I think you get a lot of people with, who have a lot of issues here and there about, with loads of different brands of shoes and different types of shoes. So I think it's probably a good place to start would be obviously talk about probably the shoe you rely on most, which is obviously your daily mileage shoe. I was just wondering what your take is on sort of the best mileage shoes, if there is a, the best, or obviously we know that it's not a one-fit-all policy. But would you say Not there is some yeah. standout ones which are sort of you'd recommend more? Well, than you others? know, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this last month or so, it's got it's become really exciting because a lot of the new shoes, um, the autumn shoes that have just been launched from a lot of the brands, are using new forms, um, and the shoes have, they, they seem to have really upped the game a lot. So there's a lot of good shoes out right now. 
um, in the store, the new New Balance 860, which is a support type daily trainer. Um, that's been very popular. The new Vux Ghost, um, the 13 just came out, really nice shoe, really plush, soft cushioning, very nice mileage shoe. Um, new Mizuno Wave Rider 24, um, that's using a new form material. It's a, um, a, their take on you know your, your TPU based forms. Um, and that's called NRZ, um, energy with a with a, a Z replacing the G, um, but really a really light, soft, springy form, which is what a lot of these manufacturers are going um, are, are leaning towards. Um, because I think the 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 demand in the market is there, and that kind of shift towards these springy feeling shoes, I think, has stemmed from. The top tier shoes, such as the uh, the next percent, the Nike next percent. So, whilst on the grand scheme of things, I mean, in my shop, I'm typically people customers coming in run five k three or four times a week. You know, you just your everyday fitness gym runner. You know, they're, they're not competitive, and that's they're the people that are buying the most amount of shoes. Of course, you know, there's. When you compare the amount of say books ghost sold to a, a Nike next percent or Alpha Fly, you know, it'll be twenty thirty I, I don't know, you know, hundreds of times more pairs of ghost made and sold. Um, but these everyday shoes don't seem to get lots of coverage because you know they're the the regular shoes that have been around a long time. I mean we're on Ghost 13 now with the Mizuno Wave Riders 24. So been around for a very long time. Um you know, so yeah, the, the the great shoes sell bucket loads of them, but the the, the kind of I guess you young fast guys, as, as I refer to you, you're a bit boring. But you know, the, the everyday shoes. When I started out, there wasn't as much selection, there wasn't as much choice in shoes. So, um, you know, you training shoes, everyday shoes were tended to be heavier. Um, Whereas I guess you would perhaps use more racer trainers or even racing shoes more often throughout the week than perhaps I would. I maybe wear racers um, or lighter shoes once a fortnight, once every three weeks for a, for a faster session, a tempo session. I mean, I posted something on Instagram this week that I'd done um, a tempo run on Tuesday in a pair of Brooks Glycerin. Um, which is a big, it's not a heavy shoe by any stretch of the imagination, but it's perhaps the heaviest shoe in their daily training lineup. And somebody said, you've really done tempo in these, but yeah, you can't be wearing next percent, you know, week in, week out, because they're only going to last you 10 minutes. So yeah, um, my philosophy or how I was brought up was you train in the heavy shoes, racing the light shoes. You know, you've got a, a, a double kind of double whammy advantage straight away. As soon as you lay some on, you feel fast. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I'm not sure if it's obviously because of the dominance they've had on the performance side of things, but a lot of people when they're trying to buy the mileage shoes, mainly look at the Nike, Pegasus and also the Vimeo. And for me, that shoe for as a daily mileage shoe really isn't up to standard of some of like your Brooks. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Brooks glycerins, but um, I've never tried any of the Brooks. I've heard you say that before. I don't, I don't know why. So the Brooks, in the Brooks lineup, typically, you, you, your everyday shoe, your most popular ones would be the Ghost, uh, which is a neutral trainer, and the GTS. I, w I wear GTS a lot. 
um, the new version with the guide rails has a little bit of stability, works for a lot of people. So really anybody could put that shoe on and get on with it, I think. Um, the glycerin is the kind of the range topping model in terms of cushioning. So essentially the same cushioning, a little bit more of it, a little bit thicker. So it feels a bit bulky and a bit heavy to some people. But for steady running, you know, I mean, I, I, I was running like down at like towards six, six thirties on Tuesday. No problem at all, you know. Yeah. So it's what suits really what you get used to. Well, if, if you had to sort of, if you had to rank a shoe as the best shoe, obviously, again, it suits different people differently. But what would you say is probably if you compiled everything together, what would you say is like the top three mileage shoes across the board? Oh, gosh, gosh. Um, so what for like a neutral runner? Um, so I would say something like the, the top three in no particular order. So in there, I would definitely put the Brooks Ghost in there because it's a soft, plush feeling cushion shoe. It's nice and flexible, nice and light, really nice build quality. So that would be one of them. That new Mizuno Wave Rider, really, really nice. A little bit lighter and a little bit slimmer fitting. So if you've got a slimmer foot, and I've, I've, always, I've always thought that the, the, the Wave Rider from Mizuno can act as, certainly if you're a bigger runner, a bigger guy, or a bit heavier, um, it's almost like a race shoe weight for a bigger guy. So it's yeah. not super light, but it's, it, it feels racy. It really wraps around the foot. It's quite a low volume upper on it. So it's a nice close fit. Um, and you've got the, the Wave cushioning system in there and that new form. It really does um, feel soft and, and, and springy. So it's got a bit of a, a bounce, a bit of kick to it. So that's a nice one. Um, and the new New Balance 880 neutral shoe, that's their everyday mileage shoe as well. And that's got the new Fresh Form X in there, which again is a similar TPU-based material. Yep. And it's that TPU element, the thermal polyurethane mixture that gives it that bit of spring. Um, so that one, that's a, that's a new update recently out. Um, so those are three great shoes there. I guess if you um, you know if you want something on the lighter side, go the Wave Rider. Um, something a, a bit heavier, um, or, uh, if you are a bit heavier, or you just want a softer feeling shoe, go the Ghost. Something in the middle, the 880. And then for support type shoes, again, a bit of a minefield when it comes to overpronation and support category shoes. But um, for me, I really like the Books GTS, which is essentially the ghost with the addition of what, what Books called guide rails. So that's a little bit of the shoe that kind of cups up around the heel um, and just stabilizes it a little bit. So it's not overly controlling. So it keeps the shoe very natural feeling. Can't beat that, really nice shoe. Um, the um, Again, so I guess the support versions of the cushion ones are the neutral shoes that I've just mentioned for support. Mizuno Inspire, always been a really good, rock solid, dependable control shoe. If you're a definite overpronator, the support coming from the wave in that shoe works really well, really effectively. And if you go to a store and, and do get analysis, usually you will see a, a, a big difference in, in how that's working. So that's really, um, really good and, and an effective shoe at controlling all the pronation. And the new 
um, New Balance V11 860, so the 860 V11, which has got the fresh foam cushioning, it's got the medial post for overpronation support, and it's got an updated upper on it, which is really, really nice. Um, very nice heel counter and heel collar to it. Um, looks really unusual, um, but is a really nice fit. Um, so three, three good shoes there as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of not very knowledgeable on obviously the shoes. I'm obviously just whatever I like, I tend to stick to, which I think is also quite a good rule of thumb. If don't fix what's not broken, kind of thing as well. Absolutely. So make sure. Yeah, you're... absolutely. Don't don't chop and change too too much as well, because you know, give a shoe a, give a shoe a chance. You know, a lot of people wear a shoe a couple of times. Um, and a lot as runners, a lot of people, a lot of runners will blame niggles and injuries. It always comes down to the shoe, you know. When right now, because of the COVID situation and the lockdown, what I'm seeing in the store is a lot of injuries and a lot of issues and niggles and aches and pains from less serious runners, shall we say, are coming from the fact that maybe they've been working for home at home for the last three months, so they're walking around barefoot when normally regardless of the job they might have boots shoes whatever on so the yeah. shoe is generally like the foot is generally a little bit more supportive but they walk around barefoot all day um the plantar fascia tendon under the arch of the foot and the sole of the foot gets strained and then they go for a run in the evening suddenly all that extra weight from the impact of running just pushes it over the edge and suddenly i've got a running injury when in a lot of instances it's from just being at home walking around in bare feet all day you know yeah. Same with uh, shin soreness. Uh, right now in the store, we're getting a lot of people who've both regular runners and, shall we say, uh, leisure runners, just more time on the hands, increasing the mileage, increasing the workload. The muscles are, are stretching to, to cope with this demand and they get shin splints or shin soreness, as I prefer to call it. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that sort of links on to what I was curious about next is obviously... I transitioned from wearing Nike Pegasus to Hocker because I had a Achilles, a, like an Achilles injury which kept on coming up every single time. And yeah. I knew it was the shoes. I could just tell it was the shoes because it was just obvious. Like you said, most of the time it is the shoes. And yeah. I was just wondering, for people who specifically struggle with Achilles problems, is there any recommendations you'd have there regarding shoes? I, well, the Really, um, coincidentally, this afternoon in the store, I had um, a lady visit me, the sister of a world-class um, athlete, shall we say. I'm not going to say any names, but she was wearing um, Nike Pegasus, and the shoe had really collapsed. The Pegasus has been a good shoe for a long time. I'm Pegasus 37 now, but what you'll notice if you look at the shoe is, first of all, it's very soft and very flexible, particularly through the midfoot and the arch section and it's almost the walls of the cushioning are kind of concave they cave in, cave, concave in a little bit and that creates general instability so unless you're a very efficient very neutral runner um, your foot wobbles on it and as a result it twists the Achilles you get a kink in the Achilles um, the Achilles is very poorly circulated anyway, and when, when it twists with each footstep, it's a little bit like a horse pipe. So you've got a horse pipe out, you're watering the garden or washing the car. When you get a kink in it, it stops, it stops the, the water starts to splutter. 
like the Achilles, get a kink in it from your foot or the pronating or supinating, whichever rolling in or out, or just wobbling generally. And it kinks the Achilles and it reduces the circulation and that's when the niggles stem from, usually. So, unfortunately, the Pegasus in the last few years has got quite narrow on the footprint, and certainly concave between the footprint and the actual the, the, the heel sitting in the, in, on the shoe itself. And it becomes a little bit wobbly. Um, and that, that doesn't really help if you've got Achilles issues. At the same time, general consensus for opinion to treat Achilles issues would be to reduce the load on the Achilles by having a heel wedge or elevating the heel a little bit. Now you mentioned you're going to hawkers. They're what we would call a low drop shoe. So yep. only about four or five millimeters drop typically in the heel compared to your 10 millimeters in the Pegasus. So where that may have helped for you is the hawker would have generally a wider footprint. Your, your foot sat within the shoe rather than on top of it. So it's generally a little bit more stable. That may be the case. Um, but typically I would, I would go for a shoe with a higher heel drop, 10 or 12 millimetres, like, like the books and New Balance and Mizuno. Sukorn is at 8 millimetres, Asics at 10 or 12. Um, and get one that correctly supports the, the pronation, the side-to-side -side movement as well to stabilise it. Um, I've, I, I, being a track runner for my in my early days, I, I really never got a full season in because my Achilles would always flare up. And I think that came from just wearing spikes a lot, so twice, three times a week, just handing out bloody 10, 400s and the like. Um, so it gets a lot of strain. Um, it's a tricky one, Achilles. Yeah. So I think also as well, it, a, a lot of it comes from if you're doing speed work regularly or hill work or just running quick then you're up on your toes a lot more. When you're up on your toes, your foot's um, plantar flex. When it lands, lands on the toes. The Achilles is short but tight, so it's under a, a massive um, load with every footstep. Yep. So just work on the stretching as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had a fair few Achilles issues in the past. Um, and it was, again, like you said, I, I was pronating in, I think, everything after the Pegasus 33s, I believe. It seemed to get more unstable yeah um, yeah probably did yeah yeah so obviously transitioned away and sort of the next one is obviously we're talking like tempos like you sort of slower end of track stuff as well so like track sessions what would you say like is what you should be looking for in an ideal training shoe in that regard gosh i mean again it, it, it so speed work and tempo running, it's it's all very arbitrary, isn't it? One man's fast, you know, my my fast run at, say, 5.30 pace is Kipchoge's very easy jog. <laughs> so it's all very relative in terms of speed. But generally, you want the shoe to... to I, I would say if you're a serious athlete and you're being competitive, shall we say, then you want... You want a light, flexible shoe that you feel fast in, but also one that feels like it's offering some protection as well. So don't don't go for the lightest, most minimal thing. You know, if you want to wear that type of thing for racing or, you know, obviously spikes, ultra minimal, you can get away with it. Um, but if, you know, if I had my days again, I wouldn't be training in spikes at all, maybe once a fortnight and just wearing a, like a, a lightweight racer on the track. Um, obviously be trying to do more stretching and the likes but yeah there's, there's a lot of nice lightweight shoes around at the moment um 
a lot of them, like the plated chews, of, of course, which is a, a, an entirely different kettle of fish, but popular lightweight tempo shoes, things like Sukorni Kinvara, been around for a long time. I think we're on version 12 now. Um, light, soft, flexible, cushioning, but just feels fast. Um, I like um, Asics DS Trainer. They do the DS Racer and DS Trainer. Um, not a lot in it. The DS Trainer has a little bit more cushioning, but it's still really light, really flexible. What I like about it, or what I've liked about it for the last few versions, is the outsole. It has that kind of, um, oh, I forget what they call it, but it's kind of like a little plastic um, studs on the, on the forefoot, and they give really good traction either on the track or on the road, if it's wet, if it's if you're in the park on bits of you know on gravel foot footpaths, you always get good traction from that shoe. So I like that one. But you know everybody's got them. There's a, there's a few versions, um, a few lightweight kind of lightweight trainers out from New Balance, um, the Prism, and then they've got the Fuel Cell TC. But again, that's a plated shoe. Um, so yeah, just and the thing is with those types of of shoes they're usually a little bit you know they're not mega money they're usually kicking around about the hundred pound price point um so they're very good value and you get a, you get a lot of mileage out of them for racing off and regular training as well you know not yeah. like the, the plated 200 pound jobbies yeah well i was waiting obviously i use the pegasus turbo one and twos and i was they're very not very durable at all i wouldn't recommend getting them unless you do unless you're quite low mileage runner because i you, it's hard to get a full use out of them especially for 160 pounds it's not exactly the best shoe to get it is it's but, yeah i think what they've done with that one is they try to bridge the gap between the 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 the, uh, the next percent of the carbon shoes yeah which you've got the zoom x form and the regular training line um so but yeah i've seen a lot of people through the store with those um the Zoom X forming them seems to have compressed really quickly. Yep. Um, and again, they're not the most stable. But the issue you get with the shoe like that is people will either buy it online or will buy it from like what we call a big box retailer, um, so a non-specialist running store, um, where they've probably just been ill-advised, you know, yep. um, as to say, you know, the, 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 the kid in the store doing a, a part-time job in there advises someone, yeah, it's Nike, it says running on it, there you go. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I think that's the opinion of quite a lot of runners, especially sort of obviously, again, with their dominance, with Nike's dominance in the past few years, everyone's like, if it's Nike, it must be the best. And obviously, I was enjoying using the um, Vaporfly 4%, so the Flyknit one, um, mm -hmm. for training for a few months while I was waiting for the endorphin speeds or the new Nike Next Percent Tempo to come out. So obviously that's a, a quite an aggressive shoe with a carbon plate. And after mm -hmm. a few weeks, my Achilles just got to a point where it couldn't handle tra doing sessions in them because that's another thing with carbon fiber plated shoes is yeah. you, you struggle with your Achilles, don't you? Well, we're, we're, we're only going to start to see this, the, the effect of people kind of wearing these shoes a little bit more now, now that they've been out a couple of years, I guess, um, or they've become more widely available and more popular. Um, what the carbon plate does is essentially, if you, if you look at the foot, the, all, all the bone, you've got 26 bones in the foot, um, and they all form to create the arch, and the arch is there to flex and help naturally absorb the impact when you're walking and running. 
so there's a lot of levers going on in those bones and then you've got the ankle joint itself that's a lever and the knee um, and the hips so all these major joints are working as levers to spring and absorb the impact and propel you down the road what the carbon plated shoes do is essentially stiffen up the joints under under the toes um, the mtp joints metatarsal phalangeal joint um, so they create a bigger lever under the toes yeah. so when you roll forward and push off you're pushing off under a, a bigger area now that's great for occasional use and you feel fast and you feel quite springy because you've got a, a bigger lever but obviously some of the impact is naturally absorbed through those other joints which have now been stiffened up so the force just gets transferred to other joints so it kicks on up into the ankle and into the achilles and the you know the, the tendon muscle in between takes takes some of that load so it's a little bit like if we go back maybe 10 years or so when there was the the barefoot running craze shall we call it um the, the manufacturers of those shoes and and the uh, the fans of those shoes would say oh you get you get less injuries from barefoot running well not strictly true you got less injuries that were so you got less injuries that you might have get if you were a heel striker but you just get different injuries yeah. so <laughs> they just were very selective about the marketing really um the incident rate of injuries was just the same and it's the same with carbon shoes the the load the stresses on the joints is just transferred to different joints so it's just where and, and and if there's a weakness in your kind of kinetic chain as it were then it's going to be exposed because you're running differently now i've nothing i've nothing uh, 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 no objection to the to the shoes at all i really enjoy running them myself but i try to wear them a little bit more sparingly um i'm not wearing them week in week out same with the um what you got with the alpha fly as well the latest one is that was only a, a low drop so where you had um gosh what was it i think it was about 10 millimeter drop in the next percent um the alpha fly i think oh gosh i think it's about four um four millimeters rather um so again your foot is sat a little bit lower in the shoe and a little bit more strain on the achilles um i've only run 5k in them once um since they came out um it didn't immediately set my world on fire as uh, in the same way that the uh, the original four percent and the next percent did it does feel a little bit bulky and i think a lot of people feel uh the same way about them um there's not a lot of racing going on at the moment so we've, we've not really seen large fields of people wearing alpha fly um i'm going to a 5k tomorrow um so it'll be interesting to see what people are wearing but i suspect they'll still be on um next percents and four percents really yeah. as, the, as the the dominant racer and maybe the new adidas one um i've not seen that in the flesh yet um but looks looks like it's going to be similar to the next percent it does look good i've obviously Staying on that sort of subject then, uh, talking about racing shoes, and obviously at this point in time, if it doesn't have a carbon plate in or some form of plate, you're probably, I wouldn't say at a disadvantage, but it's definitely 
quite a big gap to say how most of the competing brands now all have their own super shoe, so to call it out. Is there any, what yeah. you think sort of are underrated in that sense? Because obviously everyone talks about the next percent and the alpha fly, but I feel like the others... Like I don't... You know what, the, the thing is as well, it's like, yeah, you've got the Sukoni shoes as well. Again, they only bought in into the UK. I think they only had like 200 pairs of the Endorphin Pro. So that was done, um, you know, so it wouldn't, we're certainly not going to see many of them about. Um, I think I, I come back to the shoe, it's, to the fact that it's what works for you as well, because... Yeah you don't necessarily need if you're a very very much a four foot runner up on your toes then that car and play and and all that bulky shoe so if you've come from a track background then you're not used to that kind of shoe that much bulk under your foot and really is it going to be much more benefit when shortly after the uh, monza the, the the first sub two attempt it was the Manchester 10K up here. And in the warm-up area, I spotted Bernard Lagat. And he was one of the pace team at Monza originally. And he had his little Nike drawstring bike there with his shoes in. And he was just about to sit down to, to lace up his racing shoes. So I sat next to him. And said, hey, Bernard, have you got the uh, the new shoes in there? And he said, no, I've not. And and I'll tell you for why as well. He was doing the Monza. Everybody was given the new shoes. Yeah. And he said, because if we rewind, that was, what, was it two or three years ago? Um, years ago. He was still transitioning. He'd just come off the track, basically. So he was doing more road races. But he said he, he felt that because he was very much on his toes, and if you look at his track races he's right, right up on his toes when he's on the track and he said because that was his natural style that he was used to he didn't feel comfortable in in that um the, the four percent so he just wore at the time when the four percent came out they had a few shoes the pegasus as well and they were all in the same color so the gray and with the red on weren't they gray yeah. and black he he wore another shoe we might have been a streak racer or something like that he said he wore them. I'd, you'd have to go back and check on the film if that's the case. If, if, I mean, if, I, I couldn't really tell, I don't think, at the time. But he said he wore them because he didn't want to mess up on the pacing and he just wanted to run what he felt comfortable in. And I think it's still the same. If you're a, a fast track athlete, do you really, and you're used to wearing really lightweight, minimalist spikes, do you really need all that bulk under your, under your foot? Because part of the effect of the carbon plate comes from the, the high heel stack and the amount of foam underneath it your heel has to compress that foam and that's squashing the almost loading if you think of the carbon plate as a spring you're loading that spring when you strike with your body weight into the back of the shoe and as you roll forward that's when it gives it the pop um, so that's really the effect of it um, and and I guess Late last year, when I was doing a few road races, I'd been wearing um, ba, ba, ba. I'd been wearing the next percent, the green ones, um, and I was doing a five-mile race, and I actually wore shoes, which compared to the next percent and even the Alpha Fly looks really quite minimalist now, 
you know, it's got the car and plate in there. But I was doing the five miler and I thought I'm going to wear them because they feel a bit more aggressive, a bit closer to the ground. And I thought they'd give me a bit more kind of feedback as it were, you know. So, um, yeah, there's, there's part of that to weigh it up. As, as far as other brands are concerned, um, I ran in the New Balance Fuel Cell TC. So that's the trainer competition version. Really nice, very springy, um, springy form and the carbon plate in there as well. Um, it did feel a little unstable in the heel area of that shoe for me. Um, so again, yeah, I think you really need, you, you need to be an efficient runner as well to get the most out of these shoes. Not running the Sacconis. Um, I've tried them on. They did, again, they did feel a little narrow under the base of the heel, a little bit um, unstable. I don't know. After running them, see what, how they held up. Yeah, I, um, I've heard, sorry, I've heard from a few people that the Endorphin Pro is seems faster than the next percent over 5K in 10K, which right. I'd be quite interested to see if that's the case, because obviously I think that's where the next percent really shines is in the 5 and 10K. It's if you're a runner like right. me anyway, I sort of, I'm not particularly on my toes, I'm not heel striking, so I'm in the middle, and that, it just feels like the amount of stack you've got along with the plate, it's like a perfect combination. So Yeah, and of course, that, that combination is purely individual as well. So obviously, they're making those shoes and they have certain dimensions. So they'll have the stack height um, and the heel drop and all that will vary. Now, something that a lot of people don't consider is when they talk about heel drop, they'll say this shoe's 30 mil, in, 30 mil in the heel, 20 mil in the forefoot, it's a 10 mil drop. Now, that 10 mil difference is different to in a size eight to a size 13, shall we say? Yeah. Because it's a lower gradient. So it's the degree is slightly different. So it is personal as to the shoe, the size of the shoe, the heel drop, um, and also the, the, the size and shape and the dimensions of your individual bones within the foot. You might have longer metatarsal longer toes and you know a smaller arch and all these variables so there's a lot of things to consider so some people may get more effect from a shoe or a carbon shoe um, than others purely depending on this on their body weight their height their foot size and you know the world athletic ruling on the the, the stack height of the shoes um I've even forgot what it was. What was it? No, 30, 30, 38 mil or 38 mil? 40 mil, I think. Under the it was. heel. On a size 40 eight. Mil. But it's a, a US size eight, which is a yeah. UK size seven. So a really small shoe. Um, and it's, I think it's measured in the center of the heel, 12% of the overall length of the shoe from the heel going forward in the center. So a lot of these shoes are hollowed under the heel to, to, to lessen that. And, it, and it's measured at 40 mil. But it's only for that US size eight, the measurement. So as the shoes increase, I'm a size nine and a half. And in the Alpha Fly, I've measured it crudely with a tape measure, and it's about 52 millimeters, the stack height. Now, even if my shoe is my foot is sat within that shoe, it's not sat 12 millimeters down. Yeah. You know, the 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 surrounding element and the heel isn't 12 millimeters more. So there's certainly more than 40 mil is a cushion in my, my shoes. 
Um, so again, it, it does vary dependent on size, um, all kinds of variables. It's endless, really, and, it, and it's a very interesting subject, but it's very hard to quantify. Yeah, and obviously it goes back to that cliche what I've already mentioned. There's not one fit all sort of policy issues. Absolutely not. No. Same with everything. Shouldn't be training uh, everyone. Everyone's different, and likewise, yeah, sure. issues should be different. Um, and obviously, yeah. to try and keep this podcast shorter, since it is supposed to be a shorter sort of podcast than our usual chat with obviously the pros and stuff is I just wanted to ask you on your sort of like have you got any excitement about future plans or future shoes that are yet to release what sort of look promising in the next couple of years gosh well you know a lot of like I say a lot of them came out this season this was a this was a big one a lot of these shoes a lot of the everyday trainers um, and these, you know, whether you're, you know, a, a, a real fast guy or girl or just a, a, you know, a casual jogger, you really are at the best time, you know, on the timeline of the development of shoes. Right now, you're getting the most exciting shoes that have ever been around, you know, all these new form materials. Um, they're really nice, comfortable, light shoes to be running in. Um, going forward, I can't really think of anything majorly uh, stand out. Um, on trail shoes, I've just been running in the Brooks Catamount. That's just come out. Um, and that's a shoe based on, it's using the DNA flash material, which was in their Hyperion Tempo shoe. So they had the, the Hyperion Tempo and the Hyperion Elite. The Elite was the carbon shoe. They've got Elite 2 coming out later this year. Now, that should be a good shoe. The, the first version, really, um, I don't know. It, was, it wasn't disappointing, but it, it, it could have been more of a shoe. More of a shoe. Um, I think it was a little bit too firm, the form they used. They used carbon plate in there. But the second version that's going to come out in a couple of months, I uh, saw a sneak preview of it. It's going to have a softer form in it, a springier form with the carbon plate. So that'll be an exciting one to look out for. And I think that, that really should um, make, a, make a good impact. I th it should be a little bit more widely available as well. Um, but that Catamount Trail shoe features the, 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 the new form that was in the Hyperion Tempo shoe. So to have a new exciting form in a trail shoe makes that category come alive a little bit they're aiming that shoe at ultra runners it's a really nice looking shoe bright white dazzlingly so um you just don't want to get them dirty um what else is there gosh i can't think what we've what we've just seen i mean i've been looking at shoes for spring um 2021 most recently um gosh i'll have to go back and have a and and and, and look at what i've uh been ordering really in the catalogs and what have you um i don't think there's any real standout models i think a lot of them a lot of the work has been done this year what most of the brands tend to do is with their real groundbreaking technology they launch it kind of as and when it's available so they don't put a date on it so they don't say yep. it's going to launch first of january it's just they get it ready and then they, they kind of spring it on us. And that's the same of a lot of bands, they do that. So it's just a case of watch this space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, we are wanting to do a few more of these podcasts, like 
probably weekly where we speak on like one certain subject and it's more of like an educational one so if you've got any questions regarding shoes or any other sort of subjects what you'd like us to touch on then feel free to um, drop us a dm on instagram and we'll try and get them answered in an upcoming podcast so yeah thanks for listening